Hey everybody, this is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com with another podcast. That's right, it's two in one week after like not doing any for like a month or two. Um, mainly reason is just because there was another news item that I felt worth commenting on. Um, this is sort of like the UBI in Oakland. And if you're not familiar with the story is that... They will be doing a sort not not necessarily UBI like the purpose of this isn't necessarily like will the UBI work? This is actually technically more of a social justice effort. And let me explain what like what people what what people what social justice proponents mean when they say social justice. Okay, not so this is this is not like a cynical hyperbolic like description of what people who are not like who, who who are skeptical of the social justice warriors of what they mean because at the end of the day what you always want to do is try to like understand people as they as they see themselves okay you can't be like well this is what i think you're saying because they're just not going to respond to that like you have to demonstrate that you understand where they're coming from before you can critique them and if you just go straight on critique like if i just say well communism means this when someone who's actually like who actually ascribes to communism like sees themselves as something else there's just gonna be a failure of communication like they're not gonna be receptive to anything i'm saying because they're gonna think i don't understand them okay which technically if i approach them that way i probably don't um so basically the idea is like those who who sort of ascribe to sort of like a very sort of like hey social justice should be something that's a policy goal um oftentimes are subscribing to the idea that there are certain inequities that have occurred economically, politically, and when I say politically, I mean in the structures of power within the society, uh, as far as like who gets to make the decision, who has influences over what decisions are made, um, that were affected through different types of, not just through sort of cultural imbalances, in the sense that there was a dominant class, this could be looked at by race, could be looked at by gender, you can look at through any kind of vector. I mean, at the end of the day, like, if you slice people in any way you want, you'll find sort of a group that cumulatively is going to have more political economic power relative to the other ways you slice the group, because that's going to happen. Like, there's no way you're going to slice a population and there won't be sort of like, when you aggregate the numbers, there isn't going to be like sort of like a dominant one and a, and a not dominant one. You're not going to perfectly slice the numbers evenly. Okay, because um, humans aren't that simple. So what happens is that they're like, okay, well, so theoretically, like, let's say, and again, this is just sort of like the narrative. Um, white males um, historically had more political power, economic power um, over pretty much anyone else. Reasons being um, because they just had the ability to participate more and they act and then in some cases actively prevented others from getting the access to let's say participating in the economy owning property voting uh, all these things that are levers for economic and and political power so in the sense that because those levers were kept away from others for a long time they there's like there's this whole like generation generational wealth accumulation right like you know you work really hard you save up money, you make some good investment decisions, then you pass stuff up to your, your children, okay? Problem is, what if you can't own property? What if, you know, um, and again, I'm not for like, let's say government uh, intrusion in the economy, but the reality is like those 
who have political power can then say, hey, you know what, the government's going to give me grants for X business and whatnot, or have more influence over, uh, you know, how government doles grants, those land, those things like this. So if you don't have the ability to vote, if you don't have the ability to participate in the economy, if you don't have the ability to participate sort of in the same way in civil society, you're not going to generate that same type of wealth accumulation. Okay, and this... This, there is a truth to this, and I mean, this is why I generally am for free markets, because the idea is, if you allow everyone to participate in markets, if you ever, everyone can participate in the economic public square, then, you know, then that's good. Like, everyone can get better, and everyone can pass more wealth to the next generations, provide more happier lives, all that stuff. So I'm for utterly free markets, because I think that actually corrects the problem over time. Um, the issue is oftentimes time horizon. People want to see those corrections happen uh, immediately. Like, they want to see them like, we need to correct it now, which is fair. I mean, um, because especially if you find yourselves, like, if you find yourself that, hey, you know, like, I am on the, like, theoretically, hey, if my, the last two or three generations of my family had more access to markets, more access to economic and political power, you know, I would have started from a better place. I can kind of see how you might like resent that idea. Like you, you'd be like, "Hey, you know, you, you people in the past have made things harder for me. Fix it, you know. Yeah, it might eventually fix for like my great grandchildren, but that doesn't do me much good. Okay, so I get that. I get that in the sense that like, yes, things may fix themselves over time, but your life is finite, and you don't necessarily want to." not see those things fixed in your lifetime. So these are all things I kind of understand. Like, I, I, I get that. Um, and I know I'm, like, meandering, but the thing is, like, there's a lot to meditate on. There's a lot to think on that's worth thinking on. So that's sort of, like, the concept of, like, social justice. Like, that's where they're coming from. They're like, thinking, okay, there's, there was these injustices that occurred that have multi-generational effects, and they want them corrected sooner than later, so they think a proactive policy approach can do so. And to the extent that it can or can't, um, you know, it may or may not. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say, hey, because um, the thing isn't, for example, for the, this UBI, this UBI type policy in Oakland, California, it's what's unique. A lot of people probably, when they hear it, they think it's like, oh, the local, like, uh, Oakland government is doling out cash and they're only specifically doing it to certain people because the way it's working like is you generally have to be like you have to be poor so you have to be making I think under $59,000 and you have to be sort of like a minority household or a minor or some sort of like non basically you non-white household essentially which you know when I first heard that I'm like that's a bad policy in the sense that like when you tax, you tax everyone, and then if you say, hey, you're only going to give it to certain people, you're going to create some resentment, and you're actually going to, you know, uh, foster an environment where you might actually end up creating more hate and more social distrust, um, even if you might have some, you know, um, economic rebalancing in the mix, you create other imbalances. But then when you look into it, it's actually not, it's not, it's not funded by taxpayer money, it's, it's, it's a privately funded thing, like, it's by donations and grants. I don't know where the grants came from, so that is something worth looking into, like, are these grants from other governments? Um, because in that, again, you get into that whole weird tax territory where you're taxing everyone. But hey, at the end of the day, like, this is the same way I feel about most policies. 
if people agree with an idea enough that they're willing to voluntarily put their money behind it, then try it out. Like, if people want to try out a UBI and say, hey, let's pool all our resources together and redistribute it, then that's fine. And it actually probably may work. The reason being is because of people who are doing a consent to it. Okay, there's there's that the consent piece is, is important. And I think it's the part that people lose sight of when it comes to a lot of ideas. It's not necessarily that, like, redistribution on its face is bad policy, per se, in a sense that, like, um, but when you remove it from, when you do it through, like, tax and spend, one, you have the political process that always distorts everything, and you, you end up, like, for every dollar you tax, you maybe only end up providing, like, 50 cents of actual aid because of the, because just of the political process, um, so you end up actually losing money, and you end up poor because of the political process, but also at the same time, um, you're not necessarily abiding by people's preferences, and that creates all sorts of opportunity costs that aren't, that are just not measurable, they're, it's counterfactual, so, you know, people can always just say, well, like, how can you prove that? You, you can't. But you can imagine that people had would have made other choices, might have, and the prices, and because of those choices, prices in the economy may have been different, which would have led to marginal different decision-making. So we've, through economic intervention, we've veered off the course that we would have been on. Okay? That, and then I think it is very plausible that based on people's general preferences, that could have been better okay now there is a not an unreasonable counter argument that is well sure under normal circumstances but because there was like all these cumulative injustices in the past a lot of that economic decision-making power a lot of that market power is distributed extremely unevenly so then what happens is that like what products get decided in the future, again, people are going to cater to sell things to those who have money, and because those who've had many more generations to accumulate wealth are going to, disproportionately going to have that more economic power, so markets are going to continuously like cater to those groups. I kind of get that. Like, I don't, I don't think that's like there isn't a fair critique there. I think there is. Um, and again, I'm not necessarily like I don't think that these things shouldn't necessarily not be addressed. Again, I just think it should be done so like what's like what's happening here they voluntarily pooled their funds together and they're going to redistribute them i i do think the way it was tailored has is problematic the way you're framing it basically the way it's being framed is like basically we'll do this distribution to non-white families for social justice i i would guess this is, this is i'm asserting this to be fair um i'm asserting that the idea that honestly if you just targeted poor people if you just say hey we're gonna give people poor people, you're going to address most imbalances and injustices because generally the reason a family might be poor um, over generations per se, or let's say that generation wealth accumulation may have not happened, may have been for a variety of reasons, um, including racism, including other types of discrimination, including just sort of maybe, hey, you know, they were in a region that suddenly like had, you know, the family may have once lived in a region that had like a recession and they moved out there's a bunch of different reasons but most and sometimes due, due to their own decision making again i think that's one thing a lot of people make a mistake of where they just assume that a hundred like the people should take responsibility for their lives but at the same time we shouldn't assume that everything about their life is their fault either okay but just because everything about your life isn't your fault and everything 
or everything bad about your life isn't your fault and everything that's good about your life isn't necessarily entirely wasn't entirely your decisions or but it, to some extent these things are true it's a mix of all these things but at the same time because not everything in our lives is 100% under our control doesn't necessarily mean there's suddenly this obligation on others okay and i think like that's sort of a weird like conflation sometimes people make it's like well you know not everything's under your control so other people should should be obligated to help control the things that aren't under your control that's 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 a tall order um okay now let me just get myself back in my mental track but but if you target poor people you're brought you're disproportionately going to target you're i mean you're going to end up targeting people who are at the brunt end of justice naturally Okay, um, you know, and if you if you're if you're per if you're a person who's most concerned about like racial disparities, you're gonna end up uh, targeting uh, you know targeting that by virtue of targeting poverty because disproportionately like these things affect certain populations. Basically, uh, not po populations that are outside of sort of those who have like political economic power are going to disproportionately be poor. So by just targeting poor people, you're kind of already doing that. The minute you kind of start saying, okay, hey, we're going to say, we're going to exclude some poor people based on race because at the end of the day, they already have the cap on income. So now you're only saying, hey, well, if you're poor and white, you don't get help. You, you do, it does create some messaging issues. And to me, my concern there is you do create the, the vacuum for resentment. And again, this is private funds that were consensually put behind to do this thing. So they have every right to do this thing and they should experiment this way. So this is purely just me like saying like, you know, if I were, if I had the, the, these funds and I had to like tailor this program, things that I think would have done, could have been done better or framed better. That's what I'm saying. Um, but you know, it's worth the experiment to see what happens. Uh, I'm not against the like redistribution of like wealth by those who want to redistribute it. Like, you know, um, I think there's a lot of good to be said for that. And I think there's a lot of benefit that can come from that. Okay, but I think consent matters because consent, the buy-in to buy-in, meaning you consent to what's being done with your resources, plays a role in the success of actually how those resources get used. Okay, in the sense that like, you know, if someone took my money and said, hey, you know, we're gonna buy a bunch of Brussels sprouts and you have to eat it, I'm not gonna enjoy. I might just not eat the Brussels sprouts. I might just starve instead. You know, I mean, I probably would eat Brussels sprouts. I I don't, I don't mind Brussels sprouts, but other people might just sit there and be like, nope, nope. So you may be thinking, well, yeah, if we force people to eat Brussels sprouts, they're going to be healthier, but they may not consent. They may resent the idea that you took their money and forced them to eat Brussels sprouts and they choose not to eat. And now they're actually, you know, health-wise worse off because they chose not to eat at all. Now, again, that's an extreme sort of hyperbolic example, per se. The point is just to illustrate the point or to make, give you an example so clear in contrast that you can kind of see the mechanism I'm talking about here, like why consent matters, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean I think, okay, hey, things are just gonna magically go to this extreme. Because sometimes people like, I think, use reductios absurdums, that's what they refer to when you take something to its extreme, they, they see them in the wrong light. The point of a reductio absurdum, when used correctly, um, isn't necessarily to say, hey, this extreme scenario is something that's plausible or likely. It's more like, it's, it's such a stark example that the mechanism, that the point I'm trying to make should be clear, okay? I'm not saying this X is gonna happen, but you can, 
But when we take it to the extreme, you can see the plausibility of the mechanism and the idea that I'm, I'm, I'm saying. So that's the point there. Um, and I know this is, I'm not expecting a lot of people to get through this whole podcast because I am kind of going off on a lot of little tangents, but I think the discussion is worth having. Now, going on that, also the same thing, but like at the same time, like this also got me thinking about sort of like, like um, people, like wokeness. This is like the whole idea, like, you know, hey, one thing is to like speak out against racism, against sexism. I'm, I'm against all these things. I'm against transphobia. I really, you know, um, I care a lot about tolerance in general. I do think like you're going to get to a libertarian world. We all have to kind of coexist better. But a lot of times with sort of like the woke crowd, the idea is they're seeing themselves as like we not, not only do you need to promote these ideas, but you need to hold everyone aggressively accountable uh, using shame as a mechanism. And while shame is a lot shame and economic means is certainly a lot better than putting people in jail and throwing away the key. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a better mechanism either because you you're, it's still using, it's still rushing to use the stick, um, and the stick has consequences in the sense that um, people resent being punished. And now, again, this is not to disregard like historical, you know, the historical shoe on the other foot, okay? Um, that that's occurred in the past where people were, you know, were used the violence, not, you know, went well beyond shame. You know, when you think about like people who were killed for who they were. Um, this is not to, to diminish that, but the idea is that the goal isn't eye for an eye. The goal is a better world. So then you have to think critically, like, what's going to foster an environment? And a better world doesn't happen because, you know, the people today just magically get better. What happens is generally, like, the next generation lives in a context that the next generation's better. Okay? You know, the us born in the current generations are just have to kind of learn to best manage the problems that we were born with and you try to live the best life that you can that's just the reality of it you're not going to see utopia but the next generation can see it marginally better in each generation and so forth um it doesn't mean you can't have a fruitful amazing life now but on that regard like in the same way that if you care about the poor per se, oftentimes like a lot of hate tends to manifest itself within like poor populations, and and there's a it's a logical reason for this. Okay, a lot of hate occurs out of frustration. A lot of frustration occurs out of you know um, economic malaise. So in the sense that like hey, you're you're struggling. You are seeing. Um, you feel like. And generally what happens is like most people who are like they the most people who hate others is they is that oftentimes not so much that they hate others that they feel like they've been ignored unjustifiably like they've been discarded unjustifiably and they see and they're they see others who seem to in their mind may not have like you basically let's say you're that factory worker who got laid off and you know because they they outsourced your the company, and again, economically as a libertarian, I understand like the benefits of that. Um, but you know, imagine that person's mind like they see that the job got laid off, they can't find even minimum wage work, 
you know, because oftentimes you'll see like other people are being paid under the table, um, you know, <clears throat> um, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They see all these things, and generally these things are not necessarily in the grander scheme of things bad things. Like again, if you think if you understand markets in the same way that I understand markets, you'll realize like a lot of these things aren't necessarily bad things. They're not necessarily good things. They're just natural economic phenomena. But to that person who feels like they're frustrated, like, wait, wait a second, like, what did I do to deserve the situation I'm in? You know, they, they may start to harbor resentment. Okay. You know, generally, if you're more economically well off, you know, those resentments are going to be a little harder to develop because you're comfortable. Okay. So, yeah, that's why I'm also big on free markets because I do think, you know, a more robust economy will actually lead to more tolerance more forgiveness, less less hate, these kind of things. But also at the same time, like if you persecute people, if you persecute ignorance too harshly, instead of trying to cure ignorance, I do feel like you're also punishing the poor as well. In the sense that like, you, oftentimes where you're gonna see that, and again, you can see this a lot with sort of like Trump's base, where they weren't necessarily always the most economically well-off people, like the people who were like really big Trump supporters, they were just frustrated people. They were angry people. And a lot of their sort of not not good ideas uh, came out of like ignorance that was born out of frustration uh, that turned into hate into some regard. And like that's punishing, you know, this like sort of like, and again, I'm not saying that like, it should be condoned for people to say things that are inappropriate uh, in the public square, whether it's like in media or whatnot. But at the same time, there's sort of like, I don't know, I just feel like the response recently, and then the thing is that the response to anything is always gonna be more more than it should be. Like it's, you're never gonna get like a, a just response. You're never gonna get like, hey, this is the exact amount of you know response to X problem. That just, that's not the way it works. Uh, just humanity is a is a constant pendulum swing, where there's a res big response in one direction, which causes a big response in the other direction, and the end result tends to be in the median. Like the result of after all these pendulum swings tends to be somewhere in a much better median, but the responses are always too much. So uh, my this criticism kind of does go both ways. And uh, hopefully, you, as you listen to this, you appreciate that I'm I'm trying to say that like. Oftentimes, both sides push too far, and it ends up pushing the other side to push harder. The end result tends to work because, again, the, the it's like a tug of war. You know, the, the rope only marginally moves, even though both sides are pulling very harshly. Um, but it doesn't mean I don't lose hope, or I don't I don't believe that we can get to a place where we can have better discussions, where that pressure on both sides is a little bit more moderate and you move in a better direction in a much more harmonious way and yeah i do realize like that's that's extremely optimistic that's not necessarily how society is traditionally like played out um but i think it's possible and i think we've gotten closer to that i do think despite sort of like the harsh one you know the historical nature of response after response after response after response um generally being sort of of heavy-handed response in all directions. Um, I think we have gotten more moderate in the way because we've learned how to communicate better. 
we've learned how to coexist better, and I think that's that trend's not going to stop. Um, but I think cons- uh, getting to a place where, we, but thinking about consent and coexistence and focusing on that message, I think is the right message. I don't think you know the, my message should be that exclude anyone in particular. Exc- I don't want to exclude people who have historically been excluded, and I don't necessarily just want to cast aside uh, people who, you know, tangentially been associated with exclusion. And I mean tangentially, like you know, just because your your great grandfather did something bad doesn't necessarily mean you should be discarded as a person. Um, you know, um, I don't want to discard anyone, but what I want to do is do foster discussion that we can move away from our impulses to discard each other, from our impulses. To, to, to treat each other worse, uh, to not understand each other, to not empathize with each other, to not forgive each other, to not coexist with each other. So my focus is consent and coexistence. In that, you end up creating a world of, of volunteerism, of, of, of robust markets, where we're all better off and living richer, full lives with less hate. Um, yeah, so I kind of went into a lot of different areas there. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that and found some of these words and thoughts interesting or at least thought-provoking um i'm not saying i have all the answers but what i am saying is that i think people can have more nuanced conversations i think people are too quick to rush to 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 take a look at either side and just be very cynical about it when there's legit things to say about like everyone's concerns so um my name is alex merced from alexmerced.com if you enjoy what i say subscribe to the podcast And, uh, you know, go check out my YouTube channel. Go check out alexmerced.com. And have a wonderful day.